Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. We are not in studio today, but I do have my lovely co-host here with me on Zoom, Matt Offenbacher. How are you doing this lovely Friday afternoon? Morning. I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> good, good. We're ready for the weekend. That's it. You know, it's funny. I ran into a few folks throughout the week and I don't know how many times people will say, oh, one day closer to Friday, one day closer to Friday. And, you know, I'm like kind of delusionally optimistic all the time. And I'm like, yeah, one day closer to Monday. Like what's wrong with, you know? And so are you the type of guy who lives for Friday too? Like, do you live your entire life? Just, it has to be Friday. And that's the only day you're happy. Cause I sense not, but No, I mean, I think there's a lot to look forward to during the week, but I guess, you know, it's much easier to make plans on the weekend, right? So (laughs) I think there is a bit of a sigh of relief as far as professional obligations or, you know, I know I'm probably not going to be traveling. So there is something restful about a Friday. Yeah, no, that is a very eloquently way to put it, Matt. I do appreciate that. I have to ask, and I heard this over conversation I guess there was some grading happening in the MLBA after the first month and Houston did not receive a great grade. Does that align with what kind of you're seeing right now or what's going on? We haven't done well. Damn now, it. granted, when you're a very good team, your standards are higher, but we have a lot of injury issues that have not gotten better. Well, uh, more people have gotten injured as other people heal. And then it's weird. Our record against really good teams is good, but we don't beat teams that aren't very good. And we haven't played good baseball. Dusty Baker, as many people know about how I feel about his (laughs) managing abilities, has not put together very good lineups. I think he's just a very stubborn person who refuses to, you know, he's just old school and won't think outside the box. And I think it's really hurting. Like, you know, if you want to win 106 games like you did last year, it means every, you got to win the easy ones too. And He's not doing that, but maybe like last year, the general manager will trade the players that he shouldn't be playing. So he doesn't have them available and he'll actually play good players. We'll see. (laughs) We'll see. Well, like you always say, there's a lot of baseball left. And so hopefully we're just warming up and the latter part of the season will prove a little bit better. I need it. (laughs) For your sanity and stress levels. Yes. (laughs) Awesome. Well, of course, we're going to talk about drilling fluids today for everyone out there. This is something that, again, back years ago, this was always something that got brought up and I didn't understand why. Looking back, now I do. Depending on the type of formation you're drilling and I guess your objectives, oftentimes you are obligated to pump stuff, products that are only acid soluble or that essentially won't damage the formation. And so, Matt, I got to thinking and you know, whenever someone asks, well, what kind of acid soluble products do you have when it comes to LCM? There's typically only what two, maybe three that come to mind, which are calcium carbonate and, you know, the infamous magma fiber. But I think kind of double clicking on just the concept of what is acid soluble, what does that truly mean? Because 
Actually, funny enough, I was looking at a product data sheet spec yesterday for calcium carbonate and it had a percent asset, like it was like 95% acid soluble or, or something to that effect. I don't remember exactly the details. And so I think it'd be kind of cool to just define what that means, give a little context as to if you're having to pump something that's acid soluble, understanding why and perhaps the limitations behind it. Is it 100% acid soluble? Maybe, maybe not, but we're here to dive into that. And I think it'd be a good conversation. What do you think? I agree. Yeah. I mean, this comes up pretty regularly. So let's unpack it. Awesome. Well, let's like start with the basics, man. Like what are some acid soluble materials and why are they acid soluble? And actually what does acid soluble even mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, well, let's switch up the outline a little bit. So acid soluble usually means that it's digestible or dissolves in the presence. When we're just talking, it's normally 15% hydrochloric, usually at around 212, you know, 100 C is like a general test people will run. But the question is, is your well that hot? And are you allowed to pump hydrochloric acid? You know, there were a number of times where people say, well, we never pump that, you know, so that question. And then you mentioned in the technical data sheet, you know, percentage solubility, how pure is it? So, you know, dolomite isn't purely acid soluble, but it's mostly acid soluble. Does that matter to you? What about the other stuff? So sometimes... It can be mostly soluble, but is the other stuff going to react adversely with acid? So even though it's technically mostly acid soluble, does the other stuff turn to like a chunk of rubber? That's a question you should ask. But, you know, people ask for these products far more than I think they actually need them. But you can have these in particulate form. You know, calcium carbonate is by obvious, or by far the most obvious standard. It's cheap. It's widely available. We use it all the time. But there's actually like, Crosslink polymers, you know, squeezes that you can use, settable polymer. There's kind of like a borate crosslink pill that costs a tremendous amount of money, but is also acid soluble or mostly acid soluble, going by the hydrochloric definition. And the whole idea, like you mentioned, is if I put this stuff down there, can I get rid of it? And, you know, that matters in certain applications where, yeah, like I want to be able to reverse what I did. So that I don't limit, you know, don't limit production or, you know, block off injectivity if I'm trying to put water away or whatever. But we generally get a fairly, I don't know, vague, non-specific, oh, do you have some acid soluble material in there? It's like, well, from an engineering perspective, how much do you think you need? Why do you think you need it? What would you do if you needed to solubilize it? You know, those are sort of the questions that I think kind of need to be framed around what you need and how much you need and the conditions you should use it. Right. No, that brings up a good point. And I think it's important to understand the why, right? Because if we understand the goal and the objective of the reason behind the question being asked, then perhaps we can either agree to what they're doing. It's, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And then we can select products accordingly. But if it's something that perhaps has been in a drilling program over and over and over again, and then it's like, well, why are you doing that? And Perhaps there's better products that could be added or eliminating certain products altogether. But to your point, it's, you know, getting a good understanding as to the why. And so with regards to the reaction and access, for lack of better terms, how does that work? Can you explain kind of what's going on downhole? Well, I guess this is my quandary when someone says I need to have something that's acid soluble, especially in the, you know, our world is typically unconventional wells. So you know, I go on losses, I spot my acid soluble material, hopefully I stop the losses, then I run casing and cement it. 
And now I'm going to perforate and fracture this. So at what point does the acid solubility help? And there's two elements to this. One is I blow a huge hole in my casing and then I inject material at a very high rate with frac sand. I'm bypassing any damage I could have probably caused. Although to be fair, your fracture is probably going to propagate along the area of LCM because you already have a fracture. That's probably the weakest area. You may in fact want to avoid that when you fracture because it's just going to go along whatever you induced earlier. But then we get to, okay, and now I want to remove it. So I'm going to acidize. Well, so you run in on coil tubing or whatever you're going to do to apply acid. That's great. But are you actually going to be able to get the acid where you want it to go? And there's sort of two classes of thought here. One is the first soluble material it encounters, you're going to lose the acid to that probably unless you pump enough at enough pressure, pump down the backside, do some other, you know, set a packer, do a bunch of these other things to make sure you can pump acid at a faster rate than you lose it to the formation. But the other thing that I've seen is, especially further out into the formation, the acid never makes it that far because you don't have any, you basically, when acid and calcium carbonate react, what happens? You get CO2 and calcium chloride and water. Well, you have a neutralization reaction where if you can't wash that away, that creates a barrier where the acid gets diluted and can't make it any further into the material. And so I've actually seen where we had a customer years ago, they demanded an acid soluble squeeze and they wanted us to prove that it worked by running a return permeability test. So acid soluble squeeze, it's put in the core holder and we circulate hydrochloric acid across the core face where this squeeze is set. And the acid was never able to get through the squeeze material. So it reacted at the face, but the velocity wasn't high enough to keep washing acid against it. And so it just neutralized and we kept circulating live acid across that material Mm. and never dissolved at all, even though we pumped plenty of acid to arguably dissolve the whole thing. So my whole thing was, okay, well, it's acid soluble, but my application method, my ability to place acid and cause that reaction doesn't give me the access to the soluble material to actually sustain a reaction where this acid-soluble material is worth it. And the Mm -hmm. one issue, like the harder we go on demanding acid-soluble material as insurance, the fewer choices we have in our toolbox, right? Because it's got to be soluble. And typically, the more complex the loss scenario, the more expensive it's going to get to address because my only choices are acid-soluble materials. So I have to say, okay, what is the benefit? And that test demonstrated to me that it's less often than you'd think when this acid soluble material is actually going to dissolve, even though you put it down there, unless you can jet acid against it or something along those lines. So that's just food for thought. And, you know, the other thing in oil-based mud, we run across this occasionally, you know, are you actually using a surfactant to water wet it? Because if you just pump acid up against oil-based mud, it turns to goo. It's effectively like flipping the mud with water. So are you actually getting acid access to whatever the oil wet surface is? You won't get as much performance as you think. And then, you know, the other part is what else is in it, which I sort of alluded to things like PHPA, which we love as a shale inhibitor and it does a lot of good things. It also basically like curls up against itself in the presence of an acid and turns to this like rubbery substance that is definitely not acid soluble. So. 
you know, you pump your pill and you've got a bunch of stuff in it. Is that polymer going to do something nasty or is it going to actually just carry your material? So right. to me, I have all those questions. They're difficult to answer. I sort of, I get it in a number of why we're so inclined to say, look, I'm not going to get in any trouble for demanding asset soluble materials, but understand that we need to know more about how we are minimizing risk when we apply these things, unless the cost is the same. You know, if it's cost neutral, sure, like let's do the asset soluble thing, you know. Mm-hmm. But the flip side of it is if we're going to jump through all these hoops or maybe lose more mud because we don't have as many options, we might actually just be spending a bunch of money for something that doesn't actually mitigate the risk. Yep. I think it's just, you know, continuously asking the right questions to make sure we're doing, you know, what we're doing actually makes sense. Are there any other like bad reactions that can happen that you know of, like if the mud's contaminated or, if, I mean, is there anything else that would lead to where if you go to acidize something and you'd say you've got acid soluble materials in there, but it has, you know, like you mentioned PHPA, is, is there anything else that kind of comes to mind or is that? There can be something called reprecipitation, which some of the alloys or like dolomite or, you know, you, well, the other thing you can pick up iron. So this goes back to what else you pump with your acid job, right? You might pump some surfactant to make sure everything's water wet. You might add in what's called a keylint. And basically what happens is when you pump acid and dissolve something, you free up these metal salts and they're going to go form something else because they're freed up and their neutralization, their reaction might actually be into something you don't want. Mm. So it could form into another solid material over time that plugs pores and causes damage anyways. And then there's a big one a while ago. So I think it was like strontium carbonate. Somebody had a bunch, they were trying to sell it. And they're like, look, it's carbonate, it's acid soluble. Well, the deal was it was acid soluble, but that strontium would want to link with other stuff and form another solid that wouldn't go away. And so over time, you'd have these other solid materials would cause damage. It wasn't, you weren't as well off as what they initially claimed. So that was one of those deals. And then iron can cause crude to emulsify and sort of thicken. And so that can create some issues. A lot of times that's why you pump that keylint. A lot of times it was, it was NTA where it will basically tie up some of those free metal ions so that they're not available to do that. But I mean, let's face it. A lot of times in the oil field, especially on land, we're poor boy in it, right? You pump the acid, you go home. Keelants are expensive. Some of these, you're not taking these other precautions. So it may not be that your well didn't have damage because of an oil field mystery. It may be that you got lucky. Sure. And when you did have damage, it may be because you let some of these things happen. So big picture, there's a lot of other stuff that can happen. And it depends on your level of risk and where you're concerned. But there are a few bad reactions you got to look out for. Gotcha. No, and that's and that was why I wanted to bring it up is just again, it, it's not very common, but you know, especially with unconventionals, like you said, but you know, for those out there who are listening who that does get brought up, hopefully you've got a good list of questions and things to make sure you address before just agreeing to it and going to it. You know, I guess lastly is you know, it's because we've thrown a lot of sort of technical information out there and it's folks probably like, holy smokes, like there's a lot more to it than I would have thought. But like 
what's a good case or when would we typically use something like this? Like what's a good candidate for having to pump acid soluble materials? I mean, it goes back to, I think in some ways, this is where you could talk to the completion department, focus, just focused on unconventionals, you know, one track mine for a second, mm -hmm. natural fractures. So where you think if I have to fracture in this zone, and it's most likely that the fracture is going to propagate that way. And I'm worried about cleaning it out. Maybe. But the other problem with like big natural fractures is particulates might not be able to do the whole job. This is where you might end up needing a squeeze and acid soluble squeezes probably won't perform as well and probably cost a lot more money. You know, I think SWD wells where, you know, you're going to bullhead acid. That's a good place. Reservoir drilling fluids, which used to sort of be my wheelhouse, that was all we did was acid soluble material with the idea that you're drilling a pay zone. It's whatever you put down is between you and the reservoir. You're not perforating, it's open hole. And so that was very standard. And then kind of circling back, if you understand the risks, the reason that we use this more than we need it is because nobody got fired for being a little extra cautious, right? Sure. So I think there's an argument that if you don't know, it's okay to do it, but make sure that you understand that there may be a cost and how big is that cost by saying, I'm going to lose more mud because I'm unwilling to accept insoluble materials, or is it throw something in there in hopes that the soluble part will dissolve and the other stuff will disperse as it kind of breaks up. What are some other, you know, sort of halfway half measures I can do, but know that when you make that decision, you're taking tools out of the toolbox that you had before, and it may increase the risk or possibility of either having to spend more money to remediate losses or use something more expensive. So, or just accept that you're going to lose more mud. So <laughs> right. there's trade-offs. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. It's again, it's typically when this gets brought up, it's, it's, there's not as much of a deep dive. It's more like, you know, you talk to your folks or the account managers like, Hey, what acid soluble materials you have? And, you list off a couple of products and everyone gives a thumbs up and you go for it. But there's clearly other things that need to be considered and in conversation around the purpose and the why. And again, some of the risks associated with doing, you know, depending on whatever technique, completion technique they're planning forward after that. But again, hopefully the listeners got some value and then we answered some questions. If anyone out there has any thoughts or any other questions, we'd love to answer it. You know, again, it's a technical topic, but it can be as simple as picking a couple products and it works, right? Like it's, but there's clearly more to it if you dive a little deeper. And so Matt, any closing last words before we close up here? I think the only other thing is, I think there's a lot of products that claim acid solubility and look, calcium carbonate is really obvious. Like I'm way less worried about that one, but I see a lot of stuff on the market that we go test and replicate and it's not as soluble as advertised. Mm. And I've pushed back with folks because they've made these claims and said, show me your data because I'm not getting what you're getting. You know, there are a couple of weight materials that claim to be 70% acid soluble and I've never seen that. And mm. I've called out the people that sell those things and said, I want to see your data because I can't replicate it. And, right. you know, it's very frustrating because it's obviously a marketing opportunity, but I would just say, ask for more details on some of those more, you know, exotic materials. Like show me how you did this. Show me the lab report because a lot of those things market themselves in a way, but they don't appear to deliver on those claims when we've looked at them. 
Yeah, no, it's that's so, uh, so, you know, I guess you can somewhat trust, but always verify. I won't put it on a product bulletin without proof. That's why you don't see a huge portfolio of our products that say they're asset soluble. And there are some things that we have in our products that you can make an argument. You know, look, if you pump hydrofluoric acid, which will, you know, burn through your bones, a lot of things are acid soluble technically, but does it meet the standard of delivering in the oil field? Right. I want to be able to show you that. I want to have that trust. Yep. No, it's a great point, Matt. It's a great way to close it out. And for all the listeners out there, again, if you have any thoughts, questions, or if you'd like to connect, reach out to us on LinkedIn. Be sure to subscribe. If you could, if you found that this episode is valuable, share it with somebody and you could help someone else out there. And again, we appreciate all the listeners. Continue to engage, ask good questions online. We've received a few over the last few weeks, which has been great. Make sure you take a look at the AES Fluids LinkedIn page. We provide a lot of good content material out there as well, whether it be for education, entertainment, just constantly engaging with the community. Or if you'd like to reach out to us via email, send us an email at theflowlinepodcast at aesfluids.com. And with that said, take care, everyone. Until next time. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flowline. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.